0: Live from behind a revolving wall at Club Ritz, it's Austin Danger Podcast. Folks, if this is your first time listening to the show, this is a movie podcast about many things. It's about friendship, chaos, the death of the studio comedy, and most of all, it is the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. I'm Kev, she's Mackenzie. Hello! And each week, we spin a wheel consisting of over 400 films connected to the Austin Powers trilogy. And, you know... If if you're a regular listener, you'll know the wheel has been locked in the crisper of the world's largest fridge <laughs> at at Stanford College. It was shipped across the country to my apartment here in New York. And the interns are currently, <laughs> they're currently like they're blowing on it, trying to get it to melt. I don't think that's how that works. How it didn't melt in the truck, I don't know. But. At the end of tonight's episode, we will decide next week's show completely at random once again. How exciting.
1: Thank God. I'm ready for the wheel. I'm ready for a random choice. I'm ready for the chaos. I need it back in my life.
0: Yeah. You know, know, listen, I had a lot of fun with the Scream movies. I know I got a little burnt out. Tonight's movie, at the bottom of the hour, we're talking about Dick Tracy. Oh, brother. We are right (laughs) back in Wheelhouse.
1: The light at the end of the tunnel? Question mark?
0: Or is it? The Shadow.
1: I don't Ooh, know. Get it? The Blank. Funny? I don't know. Yeah, Dark I
0: don't
1: know. Man. <laughs> I want to watch that too. What other not.
0: what other Batman adjacent movies came out that year? <laughs> um, anyway, we could do that all day. Yeah, Dick Tracy at the bottom of the hour, but first, Mackenzie. Yes. You have had a very busy week, to put it lightly. I have, yes. But have <laughs> you found any time to watch anything in the last seven days?
1: I watched a couple of movies this week. Looking at them now, they could not be more different from one another, which sure. is kind of hilarious. Um, I, you know, I don't have a ton to say about this. I did watch "To Have and Have Not." Oh, I saw that. Which yeah. is uh, a Bogie and Bacall film. Many people know Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. This is the movie they met on. Uh, it is definitely poor man's Casablanca. Uh, it was like Howard Hawks was like, what if I did Casablanca, actually? And uh, it's not as good as Casablanca. Uh, spoiler alert. and uh, But it's good. It's good. I think that it's fun to just watch these two actors uh, fall in love on screen. You can see the energy between the two of them and it's really, really wonderful. Um, but that's cool I actually have been digging watching a lot of films from the 40s lately so that's kind of a little moderate goal in my brain to watch more 40s movies Mm -hmm. because I've just been digging them and I just love the actors of that time period like even though I didn't like love the movie I just love watching them yeah so um, and that's rare I think nowadays where I watch a bad movie and I'm like Oh, I just love watching these actors. Like that that that's more rare for me nowadays. Sure. Um so yeah, I'm into I'm into forties movies. I did you check out Wendell and Wilde?
0: I did, yeah.
1: Yeah, I watched that too. You know, I I love Henry Selleck. I thought it was really cool. I definitely mm-hmm. see where people are coming from saying it's a little bloated. Uh, oh in yeah. Terms of, it's it's there is a lot yeah, going there's on. There's a lot going on. The animation's gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I love Coraline so much and I, I didn't find it to be as emotionally resonant as Coraline, but I also applaud Henry Selick for collaborating with, you know, the phenomenal Jordan Peele, writing a story that is about someone Henry Selick might not have told a story about on his own.
0: Yeah, that's true. And,
1: uh, with a gorgeous animation, the animation's phenomenal. So I think I did watch Wendell and Wilde, though it is not. As good, I think, as Henry Hill Selleck's other films, I think it is absolutely worth a watch because I, I thought it was great. What did you think of yeah, Wendell and Wilde? I thought it
0: was all right. I said on Letterboxd, any opportunity to watch a new Henry Selleck movie is a great one. Yes. Truly. I've been really thankful to have been able to see them all, at least the week they came out, going mm-hmm. back to, mm-hmm. I think, James of the Giant Peach, which oh, uh,
1: another like, great one. You
0: know, I was there, Monkey Bone opening weekend. You know what I mean? I saw Monkey <laughs> Bone this week. I watched it for the first time in 11 years. Wow. Which is, it was just bonkers.
1: Um, and then, yeah, and then just two other movies. I, quick hit, I, I watched one of the greatest comedies ever made, in my opinion Young Frankenstein. That yep. was my Halloween watch. I can't uh, believe I
0: didn't fit that in this year. I'm like, I'm like, man, I got it. Well, huh. Honestly, I am planning to do all of Mel Brooks next year, so oof. that's probably why, but.
1: Yeah. I have watched like four of like 11 of his movies so I need to watch I also maybe I'll join you on that Mel Brooks journey because I love Mel Brooks um I think Blazing Saddles is also one of the funniest movies ever made I think that History of the World Part One is one of the funniest movies ever made and Madeline Kahn specifically in that movie gives one of the funniest performances ever on film as, as Madeline Kahn so often does I feel like every time I see I, I'm a huge Madeline Kahn fan so mm. anytime she does anything I think it is the funniest thing anyone's ever done uh yeah, Young Frankenstein, Gene Wilder, just an all-timer performance in that movie. And it's just, uh, I, it, it, it used to be a tradition in college where me and all my friends would watch it on Halloween. And I, I brought that tradition back and I hope to continue it. And then yeah, the last thing I watched, as you said, I had a busy week. Uh, everyone was fine, but I my, my my partner did have a bit of a of a medical uh situation going on. So we watched The Big Sick in honor of oh. uh, being a couple going through a medical. Yo, everybody um, everybody who situation. listens to this
0: show, go to what is your handle on Letterboxd? Is it Mackenzie Wolkes?
1: Uh I think so, yeah.
0: Go to Mackenzie's Letterboxd and read the big sick <laughs> review. One of the great reviews you can read on Letterboxd.
1: Thank you. I you know, Rachel is like you have to tell everyone about cuz for <laughs> spoiler alert, my review is about how I had a full breakdown in a McDonald's parking lot mm-hmm. uh, because uh, they they did they, they decided to change the payment method on me at a McDonald's. And this scene almost sort of verbatim happens to Kumail Nanjiani in The Big Sick, uh, where a fast food restaurant will not give him what he needs, and then he has a breakdown about it. So that was a huge reason why we watched The Big Sick. Um, I like it. I can see tonally it's a bit weird. Like, there was a review I saw that said it's not funny enough, but it's also not sad enough, and Mm. I can see that. It doesn't lean too far into one or the other, but I still thought it worked for me. Uh, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano are so good in this movie. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it. I actually haven't seen it. It was it was released
0: at a time where I was in hospitals a lot.
1: Yeah, there you go. And
0: it wasn't gonna go.
1: Yeah, I do Um, own
0: it on Blu-ray. Paradoxically, I just have never (laughs) had the time to watch it yet.
1: Uh, Well, yeah, I recommend it. It's definitely you know it's 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 cute. It's like romantic. It's I think there's you know it's based off of Kumail and his wife's real life story, and they wrote this together um yeah honestly holly hunter and ray romano like totally steal the show from me they are so great in that movie so uh yeah i guess go read my review on the big sick and check it out on amazon and that's i don't know why that sounds like an ad for the big sick a movie that came out <laughs> four years ago hey jeff uh, we're,
0: we're open for business buddy
1: yeah you know give us some money it'd be <laughs> great uh but that's mostly what i watched this week what did you watch this week other than wendell and wild
0: yeah so hot off wendell and wild i had you know, sometimes you have memories, like crazy detailed memories for no reason. And in my mind, I kept replaying, as I have for years, Whoopi Goldberg's cameo. Well, actually, it's not a cameo, it's more of a minor role in Monkey Bone, which is wow. um, <laughs> Henry Selick's adaption of a comic, I believe, is just called Dark World. But the studio and story and stuff, you know how this happens. Um, look, I'm going to say right now, before I describe Monkey Bone, this is not a recommendation or an endorsement. Do not read my four-star review without finishing it. Um, that's all I have to say. Monkey Bone is about a cartoonist played by Brendan Fraser who gets he gets in a car accident and he's uh, trapped in between uh, the real world, the waking world and the afterlife and the trials and tribulations he goes through with a stop-motion animated monkey character called Monkey Bone of his own creation. Um, this movie is fucking crazy.
1: <laughs> I feel like I vaguely remember it when I was younger. Like I remember that monkey. The, visually, I remember him, but there was another movie that was similarly designed around that time that I think I conflated in my brain with Monkey Bone, and I could not tell you what that movie is if I if you if you paid me. But I feel like I always thought Monkey Bone was a different movie. I don't know. But I am vaguely aware of it and I do want to watch it. Like it seems up my alley and very strange.
0: Um, John Turturro is the voice of Monkey Bone, which oh, you God. could never tell. But like, you know, Chris Catan is actually funny in it. Dave Foley, Rose McGowan, Giancarlo Esposito is the bad guy. For two seconds in a little woman style cameo, Bob Odenkirk is a doctor. <laughs> Uh, What else did I watch? I watched the the Turner Classic Movies Dick Tracy special. We'll talk about that later. Oh, maybe I'll talk about Charade. Let me tell you. Charade was leaving the Criterion channel, and I was like, what the hell? I'll finally watch Charade. In college, I worked at Best Buy, and a woman was checking it out, and uh, they were buying the Criterion Blu-ray of it. And I said, Charade, by mistake. And she not only called me out, but then spent the whole transaction and then stuck around to continue the bit about it.
1: Oh, my God. And I've been
0: humiliated about that for over a decade. So it was time to put it to bed. And let me tell you, Stanley Donnan tried to chase the dragon of this success, so to speak, for like years afterward. But there's just something about Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant's unique, peculiar chemistry and the perfect Mm -hmm. writing of the movie that is just. I don't know, man. It just really hit the spot. I'm seeing
1: a five star from you. Yeah, Yeah. Wow. You know,
0: it hits the spot.
1: I love that. I, yeah.
0: Unfortunately, it is not available in the Criterion channel anymore. Not anymore? But I'm sure it's on Prime or something I, like...
1: I think it's on Tubi still, it looks there
0: like. There you go, Tubi.
1: There it is playing in the background <laughs> there of There it audio. is. All of the audio uh,
0: <laughs> in We're going to get taken down by copyright.
1: <laughs> but anyway... I clicked you... it. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: But I think it's worth the five. Whatever it is, the $3 rental or whatever. Uh, the other big thing I want to talk about this week is we watched most of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, the new Netflix anthology. Mm, yeah. Now, anthologies are a funny thing, right? They can't <laughs> all be the, per- you know, not every Twilight Zone episode can be the monsters are due on Maple Street, right? And that's yeah. by design, right? You have to have a baseline and then the great ones. I'm finding that all of these are kind of mid now i'm Mm. thankful for the show's existence i enjoy it a lot overall but every single episode we watch and we're like most of the way through we have two left i'm just kind of left wanting more by it despite Mm. these things being an hour long
1: Mm.
0: um and you guys you listeners know how much i love when i i sit and watch something for an hour and it does not feel complete It's my least favorite, my second least favorite thing in the world. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, I would recommend watching it. I think it's cool. I think if you're a horror fan, there are plenty of great directors who signed on to do this. Panos Cosmatos, the amazing director of Beyond the Black Rainbow and Mandy did a great one. That again is maybe a little too little too late on big reveals. Mm -hmm. Guillermo del Toro also in his introduction spoils the monster immediately to you. Um, which, okay. Which in the in the case of the viewing, which is the Panos Cosmatos one, kind of ruins the whole big dramatic reveal of it, which sucks. Um, Maybe I'll
1: skip it then. Okay.
0: I don't know. I would. I, I love or them. Or skip though. the
1: intro, not the episode.
0: But they're so good. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. But I, I it was not great. Uh, and then I watched a ton of scary movies because it was Halloween, and I was depressed. And. Uh, <laughs> And I had I had the time, I don't know. But I do want to tell people about one that was incredible, which is Frank Hennenlauter's brain damage, which is about which is about a guy named Brian, who's living in New York City, and he meets up with a disembodied brain with googly eyes named Elmer. And Elmer essentially brainwashes and controls him to find new subjects to feed on. And it's a corny horror movie with a puppet in the middle. The puppet sings a song in the middle. Oh, man. Brain Damage is, for a certain type of discerning viewer, Brain Damage is one of the best movies you could see, in my opinion.
1: I'm just saying, I go to my profile, I see a five-star review from you. You've had a lot of five, five bangers this week
0: i don't like to watch movies i don't think are gonna be great
1: <laughs> like but i i want to say when i look at the, pro, the the just the page for brain damage and i look at my activity from friends nothing below four stars and most of them four and a half to five so you know it speaks highly about the people i hang out with i guess
0: it's true it was immediately called out by the guys at bat and spider the horror podcast with whom we are friends
1: Yes, I'm seeing Dale have, Dale and Chuck both four and a half yeah. for brain damage. They they yeah. love
0: this guy, Frank Henenlotter. They did Basket Case on their show. And I, I'm not sure. I don't think they did Frankenhooker. They certainly didn't do brain damage. Cough, oh, cough, they did
1: Frankenhooker. Oh, my God. Yeah, wow. Frankenhooker
0: is the other big Henenlotter horror hit.
1: I've never seen it in full, but I've definitely seen clips from it because um, I feel like it's very infamous. So. Joe Bob's
0: done all three now. He just did Frankenhooker, I think, last uh, Valentine's Day.
1: Oh my gosh! I'll have to watch Valentine's Day. I'll
0: have to watch it. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, I, I watched a ton of stuff, but you know how things are. This train's got to get a movin', <laughs> and move on we will. Whoop news! Nice. What does it all mean, Basil? Folks, as you're listening to this right now. It's November 7th, 2022, and while no one no one could say there's nothing going on in the world, there is certainly nothing going on in the world of Austin Powers that is worth <laughs> reporting to you in a news segment. No. And that's Austin news, you know. Um, a week from today, you can hear me on DunePod talking about Elvis.
1: Oh, hell yeah.
0: And by the time you hear this, our rankings episode on double features will be out, which will be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, We are recording that tomorrow, so who knows? Who knows? I mean, you will already, which is great. (laughs) But here we are. 1990. Disney wanted to start a franchise. (laughs) They wanted to make Dick Tracy for some reason. They go to 90 (laughs) filmmakers. It all falls through. At the end of the line, there's Warren Beatty. (laughs) And he gives us Disney's answer to Tim Burton's Batman, apparently in many ways. So why don't you bring us in with a synopsis for Dick Tracy.
1: In 1938, a young street urchin witnesses the murder of a bunch of mobsters by the hands of two goons on the payroll of Alphonse Big Boy Caprice, a dangerous man who is making moves to take over the city with his crime syndicate. Interdict Dick Tracy, an ace detective with aims of finally taking Big Boy off the streets. Tracy and his loyal girlfriend, Tess Trueheart, take in the urchin, affectionately called Kid, while they figure out how to help him. Over the course of the movie, they grow into a little family, and Kid helps Tracy with his detective work as he adopts the name Dick Tracy Jr. Meanwhile, Big Boy takes down club owner's lip. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, <laughs> Big Boy takes down club owner Lips Manless so that he can have full ownership of the club Ritz and his girlfriend. Not the bath. And Manless's girlfriend, the seductive, breathless Mahoney, the greatest name ever to grace film, other than maybe Dr. Chase Meridian. Most of the film is Dick Tracy and Big Boy interlocked in a power struggle, with Big Boy strengthening his empire while Tracy struggles to legally stick him with any charges. After smartly bugging Big Boy's club, Tracy is able to get ahead of Big Boy, but not for long. A mysterious character named The Blank begins to insert himself, seemingly with the aim of taking down both Tracy and Big Boy. The Blank frames Tracy for murder and Big Boy with the kidnapping of Tess Trueheart, who decided to leave Dick Tracy after catching him in a compromising position with Breathless Mahoney. Tracy is eventually released by his loyal colleagues and races to finally face Big Boy once and for all. Big Boy flees with Tess and is chased by Dick Tracy as well as The Blank and Junior who all meet for the final showdown. The Blank offers to share the city in exchange for Big Boy's death but Big Boy shoots the blank and Tracy accidentally sends Big Boy falling to his death attempting to disarm him. Junior rescues Tess while Tracy unmasks the blank, revealed to be Breathless Mahoney the whole time. They share a final kiss as she dies from her wounds. Tracy, Tess, and Junior end the film all together once more and Tracy finally proposes as him and Junior race off to stop the next crime, just another adventure for Dick Tracy. There it is. There, it is.
0: There it is. Not complicated at all. Super easy to follow.
1: <laughs> what is? Do you have history with, with Dick Tracy? Have you seen this movie before? I, I actually don't even know.
0: I have always wanted to see it. I have never seen it. I've heard so much about it over the years. It's unavoidable. Like, especially, I feel like in that time, because it was really the answer to Batman in many ways. Mm. Like, the advertising and merchandise were everywhere also for, like, at least a couple weeks. (laughs) But, uh, no, I had never seen it. I had actually seen, we'll talk about it later, the Warren Beatty Turner Classic Movies Leonard Malton TV special. I had watched that after, like, Podcast the Ride or somebody, your blank check or somebody had talked about it. But I had never seen the full movie. How about you? Whoa. You hadn't seen it.
1: No, I had not seen it. Um, I, you know, I will say, I don't know what the fuck Madonna is doing nowadays, uh, being kind of wild on the internet. But um, I, in high school especially, was a huge Madonna fan. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I had a group of friends, and we would just, we, like, we would sometimes, if we were bored, just, like, rank our Madonna albums, like, our Madonna ranking, because we were just, like, we were very intense. And I think that this era of Madonna, late 80s, early 90s, is peak Madonna, the Blonde Ambition tour tour truth or dare it's like she was so in her bag with movies with music with everything and so um i mostly knew this as a madonna fan because the i always found it so funny that vogue is from the album i'm breathless songs inspired by dick Tracy or music from the name. film of dick tracy or something what yeah. a title i'm breathless oh now i get now i get the joke because i know who she is now uh, so i knew the album and I knew Vogue and I knew that like Steven Sondheim wrote a song for it um, because I host the Desperate Housewives podcast. And those of you who watch that know most of uh, most, if not all of the episodes of Desperate Housewives are named after Stephen Sondheim songs. So I see these songs from Dick Tracy pop up in my other podcast occasionally, but really knew nothing about it. Like, I don't really know much about Dick Tracy, the comic book. Um, so my entryway to this was mostly being a Madonna fan. So I actually had never seen this movie before. Interesting. I yeah. did
0: thanks to you, I did watch the clip of Warren Beatty from Truth or Dare. <laughs> it's such a funny clip. <laughs> one day we will do Truth or Dare on this show.
1: It's a it's a fun movie, honestly. I saw it in theaters when I was in high school oh and uh, it was really, really fun.
0: I feel like that's something that should play at least monthly here in New York as like an irony thing, but
1: Oh yeah, it was so fun to see with a crowd that was like yelling and dancing and singing. It was it was a blast. And then yeah, the, the, the Warren Beatty part is is genuinely hilarious to me. Because well, yeah. he so clearly does not want to be on camera, and they so clearly are about to break up, and it's just so awkward and weird. Um, weird.
0: The whole tour is about him with that Dick Tracy segment.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Weird. Anyway. <laughs> so, look, I'm not going to beat around the bush anymore. Um, bring it. Bring this it movie was marketed as the answer or the next movie after Batman 89. Now I enjoy Batman eighty nine. It links to Austin Powers. We'll talk about it on the show. This movie is better than Batman nineteen eighty nine. Um, it's just better. Oh, I, I like it better. I love that for you. I like it better. Um, I I think Batman eighty nine is good. I think it's a great first step. I love. I think Prince is better in eighty nine than Madonna is in whatever's going on here, without mm-hmm. even appearing in the movie with his songs. I think. Um, the Sondheim songs are great, but they're achieving something different. This this is a musical.
1: Basically, Which is yeah. how you get to me. Mm.
0: The the Elfman element. We're going to talk about everything point by point. But big picture?
1: Fucking hell,
0: man. Yeah, of course. I mean, I uh, haven't
1: watched Batman 89 in a long time. It's not a movie I ever raced to return to because I'm not super over the moon about it. And I always consider Batman Returns to be the superior of the Burton Batman yeah. movies. Yeah, well, that's so- two
0: episodes spoiled,
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. But like, yeah. Bat- returns is an all timer for me, absolutely. So like, I watch Batman Returns at least every year around Christmas. It's usually a Christmas movie for me. Um, I cannot remember the last time I watched Eighty Nine. <laughs> I honestly don't watch that movie. It's good. I feel really like if you ever. were
0: there, it's different.
1: Mm, probably, yeah.
0: Or watched it as a kid. I didn't watch those movies. Batman Forever was my big Batman movie, and that was.
1: I mean, and you, you know. know how I feel about Batman and Robin. It's a whole another al- thing. another all timer for me. So. It's, a, it's a whole <laughs>
0: But yeah, no, Batman comparisons aside, and there are a couple more we'll go over, because it's all, even though the movies were produced at theoretically the same time, there's a lot of similarities beyond the yes. the kind of um, cryptic poster, the iconic cryptic poster. Mackenzie, big picture, and then we'll go into our points. How did you feel about Dick Tracy?
1: I mean, I guess I was assuming it'd be kind of maybe. Um, mm. But I was just impressed by it, honestly. I don't like, uh, I, I, I was like genuinely waiting for it to be bad, and I think that it was one of those movies where, I think when we get into it, you'll find I don't have a ton of thoughts because sure. I did, like I feel like it was just a movie I enjoyed, and sometimes. You don't always get that, you know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like I have a lot of opinions, either good or bad. But this was a movie that just felt like popcorn. I just felt like it's on, and I'm having a great time, and it looks gorgeous, and it's exciting and fun to watch, and like that's all I wanted to be, and I really dug it. And I thought that, like, uh, yeah, I thought I thought there was some really good performances in there. The, I'm just really genuinely my favorite part about it is how it looked. I thought it was a beautiful, like the production design, the costume design were so perfect for exactly what the film was going for in a way that I I loved it oh yeah Uh, so yeah big picture I really dug this movie I dug it a lot more than I thought I would
0: hell yeah where do you want to go first
1: I mean you know we can get those sort of comparisons out of the way like I did I did sort of the, the, the Elfman music sounds identical to me. The Elfman music sounds identical to the Batman <laughs> themes. And then the first line, Warren Beatty does have this sort of deep voice. It goes away. He, he, he levels out. But the first line where he's in the theater with Tess, he's like, I gotta go. I was like, are you doing a Batman voice? Like, I genuinely thought we were going to have Batman uh, down to the voice. Um, I have a quote um, from
0: Danny Elfman. Mm. In a completely different way, Dick Tracy has this unique quality that Batman had for me. It gives an incredible sense of non-reality. It's like, yeah, oompa, 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 dude. (laughs) Well, I don't know. He's more oompa in Returns. But he also has an interesting quote about Warren Beatty, if you don't mind me sharing. Please, yeah. Directors don't know anything about music, really. And if they do, it's not necessarily a help. Warren Beatty is a pianist. A pianist. A person who plays the piano. And knows much more about music than almost any director. But when he and I started on Dick Tracy, communicating on a musical level was getting us nowhere because it is all so interpretive. We started having much more success when we started talking on a strictly gut level. Mm. Which, this is a very interesting quote. I have to to be a fly on the wall with any Warren Beatty process, you know what I mean?
1: I, I guess, like, again, I had a couple of, like, negatives, I think, in this movie, but... And weirdly, I thought Warren Beatty was solid, but he didn't blow me away. And Warren Beatty is an actor who I know his name, but I've never seen him in anything. So this is actually my first Warren Beatty performance I've ever seen. And I felt that he was kind of like a little, a little, I don't know, a little bland for me in, as Dick Tracy. In a way that I think ultimately did lend itself to the film because so many of the characters around him are so cartoonish that it's nice right. to have someone who's not super outlandish um, to balance that out. But I was I was kind of yearning for a bit more from Warren Beatty, but I do think he was a great director. I thought that this was beautifully directed movie. I really dug it. I think it's cool that he's so involved with the, the music. I think you can see how intentional the music is throughout the movie. Um, but, so, but, yeah, I think but, I preferred Beatty as a director than an actor with this. Yeah,
0: I mean, I don't know. How, how much of it is... Dick Tracy the character being written and interpreted to be so flat by a clear yeah. fan Warren Beatty who clung on to the copyright of Dick Tracy for film and TV for a years <laughs> I don't know I enjoyed him I thought again the vision was great the music it is it is funny that there's all this talk and and cloud and essentially smoke clouds around the score because it is basically like Whoa, Dot! Dot, oh, Dot, Wha- Dot, dot, like there's a lot of yeah. that there's a lot of not not i mean that's batman that? literally but like it is like that you know what i mean it's different enough and then you know you have <laughs> <laughs> like how i i want to know when they were filming because could they have known this was only a year later but there's dutch angles of a street that looks like it was built in a warehouse and then they used digital mat technology or whatever they used mats these beautifully done, painted on glass, not digital, excuse me. These matte paintings that are painted on glass that give a distinct mm. look that is gorgeous, but is shot in the exact same fucking angle, <laughs> you know, as, as the ones in, in Batman.
1: It's yeah, very mean, curious to me. It, no, it is really curious because I, I do think that everyone kind of makes fun of it for being Batman-like, but they had to have been at least filming some parts during the same time, right? Like there had to have been some sort of production overlap like how could they have known really
0: there is none they began filming on february 2nd 1989 batman was done and being produced at that time they couldn't have known what a what
1: a mind
0: (laughs) fuck that is that is wild
1: yeah Um, it is wild
0: but i did love you know even though there are things that are very similar and not again not just the marketing i think we've pretty much nailed it the color palette being so limited on purpose to look like a newspaper comic strip Totally works.
1: Love it. I love it. Genuinely, my, the best part of this movie is that I think it is genuinely one of. This is, sounds so silly to say about Dick fucking Tracy. Yeah. But I think it is one of the best looking movies I've seen in a long ass time. It looks gorgeous. I love the use of just primary colors. And like, even in shots, there's that amazing shot where Pacino and like three goons are walking and they're completely. Um, not lit except for the outlines around their costume from the lighting coming behind them. And you can even see the like colors and they're each these distinct colors. They're barely lit and yet it still pops. and you can see the colors as they come more into frame and it, it just like little moments like that, it just it's such an evocative world that I I, I could have watched forever. Like I really thought it was so pretty like so my shit like I just really really dug the way the costumes were amazing it's this yeah it's the simplicity that really lets the film just I don't know sometimes busier is not always better it's just and this is a great example of that
0: could you believe the director of photography on this film is Vittorio Estorado whose other films include Apocalypse Now (gasps) Tucker a man in his dream the Jalo, the bird with the crystal plumage, and Ishtar, the other legendary, the Elaine May Warren yeah. baby film. Also, oh my God. Uh, some of those late career Woody Allen movies. Womp womp. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Major womp womp.
0: Can't win them all. But yeah, I agree. It's such a distinct look. It really works. It really pops. It's great.
1: It sounds so silly to say that about Dick Tracy, but I think it's just you have to give it that chance because I I think, it you know, it's not everyone's vibe, but it's definitely mine.
0: No, definitely not. And you have to put yourself. You know what? It's like it's like a lot of my other really favorite movies that are not dumb, but kind of silly. And you have to live in the world of the kind of silly. Like Speed Racer is very much like that Disney Zone, The rocks. Rocketeer. Yeah, but it rocks. And Speed Racer, like Dick Tracy, helped change the world. But you know, people are scared to admit it. Um, also, <laughs> another one, Alita: Battle Angel, which isn't going to yeah, change the that. world. But you have to buy into things that are a little silly.
1: You have to have an open mind, open heart, as the ADP tagline says. And uh, my mind and my heart were very open for this movie. That's right. The cast is maybe the greatest cast I've ever seen assembled in a movie. Like, like every believe, new person.
0: You can't believe who you're looking at, and then the reverse shot is a new amazing person.
1: Like fucking Dustin Hoffman as Boomhauer in this movie? <laughs> just showing up? <laughs> Obviously, Al Pacino. My review was almost, where is Al Pacino's Oscar? And then I find out, not to spoil I Love Gold, this motherfucker did get an Oscar nomination for this movie. Ah! Alright, that's enough. I want
0: them dead. Both of them. I want this no-face dead and I want Tracy dead. What's the matter? You bums forgot how to kill people? Doesn't your work mean anything to you anymore? Have you no sense of pride in what you do? No sense of duty? No sense of destiny? I'm looking for generals. What do I got? Foot soldiers. I want this Tracy
1: dead. Al Pacino's
0: born for this amazing performance from Pacino amazing like talk about a performance that completely preceded and predicted Tommy Lee Jones performance in Batman Forever but that one's way worse like
1: mm, it's it's mm, it is committed stuff. there is never a moment on screen where Pacino covered in this prosthetic makeup which we also have to talk about
0: we'll covered
1: in this makeup is not taking every line seriously like it is so he is so grounded i think it is absolutely a testament to his talent as an actor that he I, i never feel i feel like sometimes in movies like this this could have been a movie that every actor could have easily shown up to and made fun of it like been like in on the joke while they were making it if that makes sense and sometimes that's why those movies are bad because people show up and are like yeah i'm in on the joke but i never felt that way with any of these actors they came in and they were doing 100% and Pacino just really, I just was so impressed by how much he committed to this role and how like well it worked. He really did a great job.
0: This is during the period where I like to call it the last high effort period. It ends with Heat in 1995. Hmm. Uh, It starts, the beginning of the end of course is Sen of a Woman, which is a very infamous performance for which he did win the Academy Award, legit. Um, (laughs) uh, People make mistakes. But uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. We may, we may talk about it on the show. I actually don't know if it links. But uh, yeah, real big commitment from him. I didn't even clock Dick Van Dyke. And Dick
1: Van Dyke is the yeah the like commissioner or whatever he's the DA. Kill. Yeah, and freaking I mean tiny Kathy Bates role in there, which That's you know right. we love Kathy. We talk about her all the time. Paul Servino, uh,
0: blink and you'll miss Mandy it.
1: Patinkin. Mandy Patinkin. Mandy Patinkin, one of the greatest to ever live.
0: Mandy Patinkin
1: doing hey. that high falsetto tenor and and just my soul is floating out of my body okay. I, I
0: almost tried i'm not gonna do it but like like okay here's the here's the thing mandy Patinkin singing sondheim lyrics from his late most contemplative period right now obviously they're all 20s pastiches right he's used to that there are some amazing like rain on the roof and follies for example um well follies is half pastiche but like To see him in this way at this point in his career is fascinating. Mandy Patinkin, just so amazing, singing some of those songs. Madonna, maybe maybe we'll use this as a bridge here, but Madonna has to sing the word slew as a rhyme and make it make sense that Madonna is playing this character, (laughs) saying the word slew. And you know what? That is the musical equivalent of the color palette of the film. And it totally works. And it all is wrapped up and united beautifully. I couldn't, like, mm.
1: I, Sondheim, I guy. would really love to talk about the, the two romantic interests because I think they gave the some of the best performances in the movie. I really thought Madonna was awesome. I, like, you know, I, I love her in a league of their own. That's not necessarily a challenging role for her. Oh, she's in a league um, of her own? uh yeah she's in the movie the 1992 one she plays all the way may her and rosie i i all league of their is all-timer for me um she's great in that um but I don't know. I wasn't expecting her to act so much. And there was that part where she's like, I think being held, like I think maybe her last scene where she's being held by Dick Tracy. And yes. Crying. I thought that was beautiful. I was like, what a gorgeous performance Madonna's pulling out. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm leaving this movie thinking Madonna's the better actor between her and Warren Beatty in this scene, at least. Uh, and then I, then I love uh, Glenn Headley as Tess. Beautifully grounded performance. Wonderful. Um, heart of the film i think and mm-hmm. a wonderful um sort of emotional antithesis to dick tracy's kind of emotional coldness uh so i thought the two the two female leads were really really great too like i was like amazed that there were so many good performances in this movie
0: it's tough to be a woman in a 40s noir yes. comic strip
1: pastiche yes
0: because you quite literally are either the femme fatale or the dame or at the home girlfriend yep and it's it's tough, but I, I think both actresses handled it perfectly, and they played their parts to a T. You have to kind of fall into that for this to work.
1: Yeah, uh, I was telling Rachel, like, I probably could interrogate the feminism of it all a little bit more, but that's not what this movie's trying to do. That's not the genre of this movie, and it would be to the detriment of my experience to be like... But you know this, kid, this femme fatale is harmful to feminism it's like it doesn't it doesn't super matter she's part of the genre and I think everyone in this movie including Madonna knows exactly what she has to do to fit the role um, though it is so funny that she just kind of immediately wants to fuck Dick Tracy. Every <laughs> line is about her vagina. It's it, right. like some sort of, some sort of allusion to her vagina. And then they never really explain why she wants to fuck him so bad. It's just this animal magnetism that she's just like, every scene is like, so shall we do it now or later, right, Dick Tracy? Right, exactly. And you're like, I, so I wish she was fleshed out a bit more, but I felt in that last scene, she was super fleshed out and then she died. And I was like, okay. Um, but that's but how yeah, it that is. Was- like, Madonna was fully topless in that one scene, too. I was like, wow, this is a sexual movie.
0: It is a very... very
1: (laughs) are you going to arrest me?
0: I'm going to arrest you. I'd have done it by now. And what are you up to, honey? I think Lips Manless is dead. And I want you to tell me who killed him. Or maybe you weren't on his side. Whose side are you on?
1: Sud, I'm always
0: on. Mine. No grief for lips? I'm wearing black underwear. You know it's legal for me to take you down to the station and sweat it out of you under the lights.
1: I sweat a lot better in the dark.
0: I know how you feel. You don't know if you want to hit me or kiss me. I get a lot of that. I, I do want to say I did receive a note from ADP legal as the, the cishet straight male correspondent of Austin danger <laughs> podcast. I have no official comment to make on the gender roles of Dick Tracy, quote unquote, playing the part in a noir pastiche, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's far be again, it from like, me.
0: But I think you're right. And I agree with you, but it's hard for me to I say. We could,
1: right? I, I definitely left the movie going. I could interrogate this, but like, I don't think Dick Tracy is worth the energy to interrogate it. And I think it is totally fine and not, not very harmful like i that's that's my opinion and i'm sure someone's written a thick piece about dick tracy's women uh that i would love to read but uh not my vibe
0: ditto ditto can we talk about the kid please yeah how fucking now now this is what i knew i already knew i liked the movie a lot and i really enjoyed it but when the kid gets his honorary license or whatever and it says quote the kid (laughs) And then in the entire scene afterward in the police station, the guys in the back are talking this. They're saying the same lines in circles over and over again about how it stays the kid until he's chosen a name. Yes. How cartoony, how silly, how wonderful, how charming. You have this kid, Charlie Corsmo playing the kid. That's a tough role. And I think he did such an awesome job of bringing exactly what you need into it. Like when he sees Madonna, he's like, that's some dame.
1: <laughs> I love him going, I don't much like dames. I also wrote down him going, go suck an egg. <laughs> he says egg like that. I thought that was really funny. Uh, yeah, this kid was great. He's also in Hook. Very iconic role. I think he has in Hook. Uh, also with Dustin Hoffman. And yeah, this kid's a great kid actor. Not, not all kid actors are great kid actors, but this kid is so funny, so magnetic, so charming. Like I, like I know that you you said they wanted to start a franchise. Obviously it did not happen, but man, would I have loved to see adventures with the two of them. Like with the kid, like I just thought that I thought that Warren Beatty and the kid played really well off of each other too. Like I thought that it was just it was just so warm and charming and I I really truly would have watched a bunch more movies with those characters really I thought that their dynamic was really really great the sort of he also I, I, I wrote down I think that he's Batman down to the adopting random urchins yes that's... <laughs> Batman is also bat dad is you know kind of adopts random little boys off the street so Dick Tracy also has that in common with Batman uh, and I loved it I loved it I love Batman and Dick Tracy is basically a similar Batman so of course I loved it too
0: there you go Do we want to talk about, before we get into popcorn notes, again, very vibey, not a lot of details, nothing going on under the surface of this movie. It's all popcorn, all fun. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Do we want to talk about, did you watch the Dick Tracy special?
1: I have not watched it yet. I wanted to talk to you first and I was going to go watch it.
0: Warren Beatty held on to the rights to make Dick Tracy movies for so long that it may have actually spoiled chances to make more In addition to, like, Disney had a theme park ride planned, they had this and that planned, and they pulled it all because it had under, you know, it had under-delivered for them. I don't know. Right? Could have done a whole movie, a whole TV show for Disney Plus about Cole Meany's police officer character. But, no, the the plug was pulled. So, to hold on to the rights, Warren Beatty called up all his friends and did this special where, first of all, it connects to Austin Powers because Mindy Sterling and Wendy McClendon Covey are improving as production assistants like waiting for dick tracy
1: they I love hired it. I an love actor
0: uh, tim bagley austin ellis and steve monroe played guards and other assistants as well that were not needed by the way to create this air of of a fictional production Warren Beatty is in character. I don't know if people who've listened to this point of the show know the on cinema Oscar specials, but it kind of reminded me of Mark Proach um, doing impressions of like (laughs) Harpo Marx, where it's just like saying random facts. Malton gives like a kind of a canceled now, like a Charlie Rose PBS interview where he gives the complete history of the character and then introduces kind of the guy. And then he the gun then Warren Beatty in character talks shit about himself, thinking that he's too old for the part anyway, and and he's too flat and whatever and he's cracking jokes. Dick Tracy, the character, is a conservative, and so he's making fun of Warren Beatty, the liberal, and praising the conservative uh-huh. cartoonists who created him in the forties and stuff.
1: My God.
0: This thing is amazing. It is
1: <laughs> Holy shit. If, if
0: uh, Listeners, if you watch anything from Dick Tracy, this is on YouTube. Just search Dick Tracy special. I also have it in my letterbox, so you'll know what you're looking at if you want to go look at that. Oh, man. This is a required viewing because it really ties the loop together of like, man, that's the lengths he had to go. And, and not... so
1: he still has the rights now for, for how long?
0: You know, I actually don't know the answer to that question. Because
1: I'm shocked there hasn't been a reboot or some sort of retaking on of... Of Dick Tracy, honestly.
0: Well, there had been, you know, there had been a tug of war for years with Tribune, which is the media company who originally owned the rights. Warren Beatty bought them from him. And then there was a whole thing where they went to California Superior Court. And they are still fighting to this day. As of 2016, Warren Beatty at CinemaCon was like, yeah, maybe we'll do it. LOL. In the Dick Tracy special. Um. Dick Tracy is asked about it, and Dick Tracy says he should ask Warren Beatty himself. Oh, my which God. Which is incredible. I I just, you know, what's the point if you're not going to make it? You know what I mean? The era yeah, of like, this movie. Yeah, go. Yeah. Much like a lot of the movies we talk about, the era of this type of movie died with Wild Wild West. And frankly, I think Return of the King, the Lord of the Rings, might be mm. the last one um, to be this weird for sure, right? There's a sanitized feel to movies like this now. Uh, yeah, which absolutely. I mean, into. comic book
1: movies do not look anything like this anymore. Sadly,
0: I mean, for Frank Miller's Sin City, the Robert Rodriguez movie, is the last one mm. that is very similar, and they <laughs> they took the best parts of all of that. It turns out, um, but that's another story for another day, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of the rights issue. That's why we haven't seen another one. It sucks. Disney went on to do The Rocketeer, which is a fucking awesome movie that we'll talk about. And they didn't do anything with that either. They continue to just Wild. punt. They continue to punt sci-fi properties all the time. Um, crazy that we're just now getting a new Rocketeer, by the way, after Tron oh, Legacy. Oh, I forgot.
1: It's, a, it's an animated thing, right?
0: No. Well, they had done a oh. children's show. And then I think they're yes. doing either a TV show or a movie or something with that. But
1: Oh, I you didn't know, realize that.
0: There are sci-fi franchises that aren't ones they bought. They've never quite been able to land, so I don't know. But, but you know, I was there. I worked Tron Legacy. I saw it three days before it came out. I saw it again twice that weekend. I was there so hard. I recommended it so much to people who came out of it confused and scared. But no matter what I did, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's me. Mackenzie, it's getting to be about that time, so if you have any popcorn notes, any stray things left unsaid, say them now or forever hold your peace.
1: I will. I mean, most of my notes were literally just me going, "God, this looks beautiful." I just thought the movie looked gorgeous. Um, we didn't really talk about the makeup. The makeup is insane. Yes. Also, made made many of my notes of me just going, "Like, holy shit, that guy with the giant like egg body and the tiny <laughs> tiny face, lips, manlesses like deep lips, yes. played by the late great Paul Sorvino." Uh, obviously, the kind of sideways mouth that they had on Dustin Hoffman. Like, even these, I just thought it was so amazing that the way they used subtle. Um, on some characters like very subtle um, extensions or you know um, change just little parts of their face like their lips or their their nose or their foreheads but then you have these amazingly designed characters like flat top and and like the um, like the guy with the, the tiny face and the big in the big head like that, that looks like just printed straight out of a comic book and the, that makeup is amazing and I know we'll talk about it a bit and I love gold but like Holy shit. Just Every time I saw a new makeup look, I was just so impressed by it. Um, Just gorgeous. I really thought the makeup was amazing. Um, I thought the, the there was like points of ADR that were so silly but totally worked for me within the genre. Uh, every time they said Big Boy, it made me laugh. All the Sondheim music, I just loved Live Alone and Like It. Mm-hmm. I Sooner or later, I always get my man. Iconic songs that yeah. are just really, really amazing.
0: Yeah, those songs have made their way into other anthologies over the years. I think a bunch are yes. in the show putting it together which has a fantastic it's on i think it's on youtube don't tell anybody with carol burnett which is wonderful
1: yeah i uh i felt like i knew i knew those songs from yeah definitely not from this movie and so it was really funny to see them like oh there they are uh loved that he just ate out of a chili can labeled chili (laughs) i thought that was genuinely so funny every time it happened madonna fully topless again kind of blew my mind i did write wow she was really she was very hot at this point in the 90s way to go madonna way to go warren Beatty. i guess uh truth I wrote, or this day are coming al- soon <laughs> i wrote this is an alternate timeline godfather i think at one point when i was watching pacino be crazy
0: pacino just left godfather 3 to come to do this food for thought
1: this is the godfather 4 really this is what dick tracy is
0: oh i wish it was i like godfather 3 the new one i haven't seen the original Mm. i haven't mm.
1: seen the new one yet do
0: i wish that this were the godfather 3
1: again so many of my notes just quote i think this movie looks so gorgeous i'm not fucking kidding (laughs) uh so many notes that were just this madonna outfit have no idea what the outfit was mandy patinkin being so random but just there to be a perfect singer wonderful And yeah, I mean, really, you know, again, this wasn't a movie that I necessarily had a lot of thought, like intense thoughts about. I just thought it was so fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I wrote Beatty Loves a Montage. (laughs) (laughs) He did a lot of little montages. Can we talk about
0: Mandy (laughs) singing the breakup montage? When Tess yeah, well, is leaving, and it's Mandy Patinkin singing in the creepy oh makeup. Oh my
1: god! And his beautiful voice, Jesus! The dummy body falling, the big boy <laughs> dummy like <laughs> falling down the fucking pipes wherever the hell they are. Yes, that was that was very funny. Also, something that annoyed me, literally, like he Tess leaves him, and then he kisses breathless Mahoney again. And this like huge, like, I've just lost my female love interest and then sort of haphazardly proposes to Tess. And that had literally zero emotional impact for me because I'm like, you just kissed another woman. Like you just kissed the woman your girlfriend left you over, yeah, and you're like, I guess I'll propose because the other one's dead now. Uh, that was something I didn't like. Well, I was, I was like, this ending makes no sense, and the the whole proposal scene was dragged out way too long. But that, oh yeah, that's it. That was that was it. What are what are some of your popcorn notes?
0: I have almost identical popcorn notes to you. I wrote a very unhelpful note. Love the man in the green suit with the crazy face. That's ninety percent of the people in this movie. <laughs> so many people have in this flat movie. Top. Uh, I loved Pacino screaming in the graveyard. I wrote that down. Um, the streetcar garage or whatever it's called. The, the mystery man, big boy on the phone calls it car porn. I don't know what that is. I love Pacino's nose. He's he's using a framework he'll recycle later. And again, Glengarry Glen Ross and Heat with the shouting and the intensity. Um, the turntables made me laugh. The speakeasy stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, that was so great. I love
0: the idea of sitting next to Dick Tracy at the opera. I find that so funny.
1: I loved those shots. You're going to laugh at me. That looked like something out of, like, a Powell and Pressburger movie. To me, like, the 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 colors mm-hmm. of that with, like, the opera, I was like, what is this Tales of Hoffman motherfucker doing right now? hmm hmm I can't believe I just compared Dick Tracy to Powell and Pressburger.
0: Look, I saw it. <laughs> this is a Technicolor movie anyway, so food for thought? Yeah,
1: I mean, I love Technicolor. God damn. Uh,
0: so weird that Mandy Patinkin is in this. Is Madonna any good? I don't know. I found out. <laughs> the answer is yes. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I think I overanalyzed the Sondheim earlier on the show, and that was my last big popcorn note. So oh, prune
1: Face! Remember that makeup. I love the Sorry, Prune Face I was just makeup. Yes, of thank that you. Makeup. Holy the names! Sorry, the names of these characters are also so good. Breathless Mahoney is genu- genuinely the best name in the entire universe. Breathless Mahoney, I I mentioned it. I can't remember if I'm gonna. I don't even. I can't even tell if I'm gonna cut it or not. But Doctor Chase Meridian is generally thought of as my favorite movie character name ever. It's Nicole Kidman in Batman, but Breathless Mahoney is right up there with Doctor Chase Meridian now. These are my two favorite movie names.
0: Here's some here's some uh cast members we forgot, just before we get into final thoughts. James Kahn yeah. as Spud Spaldoni. James
1: Kahn, yes. Literally like every good like mafioso actor dude is in this movie.
0: Catherine O'Hara plays a character named Texi Garcia. I barely I didn't see I her. I barely clocked her. This is just a wild cast. Oh, um James Tolkien as Numbers, the accountant. James Tolkien is is uh, principal Strickland from Back to the Future, a great character oh. actor. who plays that guy he plays the mob accountant you know great character actor um and yeah so dick tracy the book is closing ever slowly mackenzie your final thoughts and your star rating
1: um yeah this is a movie that i had a really wonderful time with i think it is one of the most beautiful movies i've ever seen visually which is hilarious uh I had a good time with it. I thought the music was fun. I thought the costumes, the makeup was fun. The acting was great. There's a couple little moments that like annoyed me, like that breathless thing at the end, and you know, there's tiny tiny things that bother me, but not did not ruin the experience for me. I don't know. I think I'm may sound crazy. I think I'm at a four star for 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 uh, for old Dick Tracy. I really I really enjoyed this. Like genuinely would watch it again. Thought it was so fun. Thought it was really just a great, exciting and and fun watch. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like sometimes movies just can be fun, and that's all they need to be. And I think that this movie is an example of that for me. Is like I don't need this movie to be anything more than exactly what it is, and uh, I'm happy for it. Yeah. Where are you at? Well, look, <laughs> look,
0: um, folks, anybody who knows me knows the kinds of movies that I enjoy. The kinds of movies that are big and bold and brash and go for a very specific thing. And whether it does it or not, I always give benefit of the doubt. This is an homage to newspaper comics by a crazy egomaniac who later made fun of himself for it on a TV special he had to make to retain the rights. I agree it is better than Batman 89 and it will sit on the shelf probably next to some other movies that I've talked about on this show so far. Movies like Speed Racer, which revolutionized action film, where you really had to buy into it. You really had to come in. Uh, And also maybe movies whose appeal is more universal, like The Rocketeer. Um it should come as no surprise to you, based on the fact that I've logged this twice and watched the stupid special, that this is a five star all timer for me. Yes,
1: But like, good. But like yeah, baby, yeah, you it. know, yeah, baby, yeah.
0: Remember? I was waiting for it. Remember when our show was about Austin Powers? Um, still is. But yeah, I, I just you know, I feel like people are gonna come for me with that.
1: But Who cares live your truth, open mind, open heart, all day but over this here. Is,
0: this is how it is. This is how sometimes how it, it has to be in life. Dick I Tracy love fucking rules. I this for you. I,
1: Dick Tracy does rule. It rules so hard.
0: I have to go see if I could buy the Blu-ray or something because, oh boy. Uh, when this comes to Disney+, Plus, I am going to be so annoying about it. Oh boy. And then you're all going to watch it and log it at three stars. And I'll be like, I did warn you.
1: And we're going to judge. I'm going to judge you.
0: And yet, yeah, and yet, yeah. uh, And yeah, so that's Dick Tracy. And now it's time to do our little show. I love gold. Gold. Well, look, folks. It may come as no surprise to you, which this is my phrase of the week. Is it may come to no surprise that this film won three Academy Awards. Number one, (laughs) Mr. Steven Sondheim. Sooner or later, I always get my man. An amazing, how great, by the way, is that montage of Dick Tracy getting his mojo back and hunting down Al Pacino. Mm, So good.
1: Face, I always get my
0: mind? Uh, Also, best makeup, John Caglione Jr. and Doug Drexler, of course. Congratulations. Absolutely. Well the deserved. makeup
1: is amazing in this movie. And
0: best art direction set de- decoration, Richard Silbert and Rick Simpson won
1: deserved love um, that love all of that
0: the other awards it was nominated for best sound best costume design which was oh. incredible
1: what did it lose costumes to
0: Cyrano de Bergerac which I didn't <clears throat> even know they did a 90s version I didn't either it's it's a Gerard Depardieu picture it's from France okay so there you go I,
1: I mean tracks I guess
0: I don't know man I just, read, I just read the awards. You know what I mean? I just read the awards. Um, also, cinematography nominated, but I think I know what it lost to. What it lost to was Dances with Wolves, the, the, uh, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, the yeah. epic,
0: which would later go on to take Best Picture, Best Director, etc. Yeah. The big one, the biggie that we have to discuss. Yes. Is that Al Pacino was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture for his performance in Dick Tracy, which I is- I
1: love that. I love that so
0: much. You know what is, I think, the craziest thing about it? What? Is that he was not nominated as Best Leading Actor in The Godfather Part Three as Michael Corleone. <laughs> Andy Garcia is nominated for playing Vincent Corleone. I believe it's his nephew. There's a lot of complicated storylines there.
1: That is- so funny. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Uh, I love that. I love that that's a nomination for pacino That's so fucking funny and I love it so much. Uh
0: and then uh you know, it's the ultimate irony of it is, of course, is that he loses to a career defining performance from Joe Pesci. What a world. Wow. What a world. Hey, also in Goldland Austin Danger podcast legend Kathy Bates wins the Academy Award for Best Actress as Annie Wilkes, No Relation, in Misery.
1: No Relation, yes. I've had to clarify that most of my life. Her, Annie Wilkes, and John Wilkes Booth are the two I get a lot Great. uh, for my last name. I'm sure it's great. (laughs) <laughs> wow god legend fucking legend i love kathy B. this best actress lineup julia Roberts and pretty women meryl streep from postcards for the edge joanne woodward for mr and mrs bridge mm-hmm. and angelica houston for grifters and then kathy taking it what an insane lineup this year at what the a academy pull. awards
0: what a pull did a whoopee Shit. for ghost what a oh, life oh my
1: god wow yeah
0: just a just a crazy murderer's row of uh academy awards and of course dance with wolves not problematic in any way um moving on Uh, pretty much similar case for the baftas you know didn't get cinematography but got best editing and visual effects nominations uh similarly lost in costumes al pacino and best sound but they won makeup and production design so congratulations nice there uh what else what else is notable i love gold golden globes nominated for best motion picture comedy or musical the biggest sham category of all time fight me (laughs) Fight me. (laughs) The Martian. The Martian. And that's I Love Gold. And now it is time for the Alan Parsons Project, the scare-quoted segment where we tie our movie of the week in with the Austin Powers franchise. And, of course, the big link. I'm a kid changing channels in, like, 2000. And what do I come across on VH1? But The Beautiful Stranger by Madonna video where Austin Powers is seduced by Madonna. But according to Mike Myers on set, not too seduced.
1: (laughs) I love Beautiful Stranger. I love that song so much. It's
0: an amazing song. It's one of the great music videos of all time. Also, the late Mike Haggerty returns, who's been in a bunch of stuff we've done. Kevin Haney in the makeup department, Dennis Scott in Stunts, who gives us the Star Trek, J.J. Abrams 2009 Miracle movie. How do I know it's a miracle? Well... It's basically a Star Wars movie, and he's made two of those, and we know how they worked out. Moving on. Also, Renee Tondelli in sound, George Anderson in sound, and uh, Brantford Ralston. What a great name in the camera department, who gives us another one of these movies that I'll probably love, even though, well, this one, John Carter is not beloved. Mm. But Mm -hmm. that's a story for another day, clearly, because he puts it on the wheel there you are you're over there
1: we have a slate of views over there today so i'm gonna dive in we got three Wait, letters could
0: you say would you say it's a slew of views it's a slew of views
1: rip steve <laughs> uh our first comes from our friend ian who is uh writing to us about tar uh, i don't believe i believe all of you who have not seen tar yet you should be good spoiler wise i think this is more about just general thoughts about the film we're but are um,
0: getting in the tar pit now
1: we're getting the tar pit uh So you should you should be safe from spoilers. So stick around, friends. Uh, So Ian says, hello, my friends. So happy that my first email and about damn time is on. What in my humble opinion concerns the film of the year and likely the film of the decade. I know. I know. Bold statement. Even bolder. This is giving there will be blood as far as its longevity and distinction for i I'm being dragged immediately. First, I want to say how disappointed I was to hear that my movie queen, Mackenzie, was not as hype as Kev on this, listening well, to the most recent episode. I still liked it. Look, um, I'm
0: hype on everything because this is all I have.
1: Kev just gave, Kev canonically gave Tar and Dick Tracy the same amount of stars. That's correct. On Letterboxd. Yeah.
0: That's, but that's, you know, I just talked for an hour about it. I don't know how more detailed I can get about why that's the case, but yeah, uh, it is. they they continued
1: (laughs) they continued uh listening to the most recent episode it was the most vocal i had been having a conversation back at you both knowing full well you could not hear me that being said mackenzie i felt that you hit every opinion nail on the head in your discussion even while being less moved by the film initially i'm excited to hear what you think after a rewatch. This is what I find most interesting and exciting about Tar, the way it necessitates and drives conversation regardless of your love for it. I could go on and on and on with any number of people because I know it will be seen from many different angles and provoke a variety of interpretations, Allah, there will be blood. I have many feelings about it, and two viewings later, I'm still churning over those feelings. Additionally, every single night before I fall asleep, I find myself thinking about Tar and the pitfalls in our society that give birth to people like her. What are those dreams will- like? Ugh wow just dreaming about Tar. that is, that I, mean, is I, I would also love to just dream of cape lanchette but maybe not the the specifics of tar uh, i won't excavate all those feelings for you here because you have a podcast to end and i have more outlets in which to explore them in the coming weeks and months suffice to say i am enamored by the film and i think todd Field todd field may be my new favorite filmmaker I'll leave you with this prompt. Is there a film in the past or recent memory which you couldn't shake that lingered with you consuming your thoughts, provoking ideas and introspection in you that you just couldn't quite pin down fully? I'd love to know what it was and why you feel it impacted you in such a way. Thanks for reading. Love you guys. Ian Danger Powers. Peace.
0: Thank you so much. What a lovely letter. Thank you.
1: What a lovely letter. Do you have a film like that?
0: That I couldn't shake? That I mm-hmm. couldn't quite place?
1: hmm <laughs>
0: Here's where Dick things Tracy. here's where things get hard. That was very clear. Dick Tracy was very clear. I felt that way about Halloween Ends for a few days, and then talking about it with people and reading people's letterbox reviews and, and watching the movie again really helped solidify how I felt mm. about it. A very divisive film. Um, the only other recent movie I can say this about, although my initial visceral reaction to it was clear, uh, in the weeks since, all right. <sighs> I have to stop here because we'll be spending Christmas on Pandora. And when we spend Christmas Mm -hmm. on Pandora, we can further unpack. When I saw Avatar again, I'm still unpacking it. In a lot of Mm -hmm. ways, that is the movie. That is the big one of this quarter, at least, where I'm still kind of unpacking how I feel about it. Um, Besides Tar.
1: Oh, wow.
0: It's hard. It's hard to say without spoiling. Uh, Was Avatar actually good? I still don't know.
1: We'll find out.
0: We'll find out. How about you? Do you have anything?
1: Um, I don't know. I think there's a couple of movies for different reasons that have stuck with me. Earlier this year, I watched All About My Mother by Pedro mm. Almodovar. And that was a movie that for like the whole month after I watched it, I could not stop thinking about it. And I'm still begging Rachel to sit down and watch it with me because I want to share it with somebody else. But I thought that movie... Um, it was an immediate add to my top four for a while and because it was just this movie that I thought swirled around so many ideas that resonated with me and were presented in ways that I had never seen before with the way Almodovar works with his sort of melodrama and his his way of pulling out emotions out of people throughout his films. Um, so I All About My Mother really stuck with me for a long time silly to say life aquatic with Steve zoo was also a movie that on yes. the first watch um it snuck up on me it was a movie i was sort of just like watching and then a certain part happens i don't want to spoil if you have not seen that movie and it ripped me into its its orbit and it annihilated me and then i immediately watched it again <laughs> uh and so life aquatic with Steve zoo is another one that like um I wish I could put my finger on why it, it resonates with me so profoundly, but it does, and it's that that might be my favorite movie ever at this point in my life now. Um, but the most recent is Casablanca, which sounds so silly, but I watched a few months ago, and I li- I think about it every day. I literally think about Casablanca once a day, and I cannot stop thinking about this movie. When I think about the ending of Casablanca, if I close my eyes and let my mind linger on the memory of that scene, I start to cry, which is insane to me. Like, I am so moved by that movie in ways that I am confused by that, uh, that yeah, like, that movie I think about truly once a day, and I'm really excited. Rachel said she's going to watch it with me soon, and because, again, I just want to share these movies with her, and uh, so... Casablanca is not an exciting pick, but it is a movie that I that is that is resonating with me a lot lately.
0: I owe it a revisit because I haven't seen it since like film class in high school, and mm. the way the speakers worked made old audio. This sounds so stupid, but the audio on some older movies made it really hard for me to even understand it. And Casablanca is a movie that moves very quick and mm-hmm. the dialogue's very fast. So I owe it a, like a good 4K revisit.
1: I couldn't believe how much I liked it, but yeah that was a great letter thank you for asking that question thank you and then we have another letter from our dear friend ron hey ron says my dearest austin danger podcasters Mackenzie and kev uh, this is about scream tober and beyond he says oh dear the original scream is a movie i love and have seen dozens of times when i walk the dog before bed i frequently announce that i'll be right back My wife is a very patient woman. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't really into the second and third movies when they came out and I hadn't bothered the two newer ones. Going through the series with you has made me realize, similar to Austin Powers, just how formative Scream was for me. It was the first horror film I sought out because when it came out, a girl at school said it was her favorite movie and I felt lame for being 12 and too afraid to watch a movie. I immediately followed this with The Exorcist movie that I heard people talk about and that one-two punch basically ruined horror movies for me nearly everything else was stupid and crass by comparison. I hadn't figured out how to just enjoy horror movies for the cheap thrills they provided. I've lightened up at least a little bit in recent years, so throwing on the quote-unquote crappy sequels actually ended up being a lot of fun. Scream 2 is way better than I remembered it being and Scream 3 still sucks, but in a fun nostalgic way. With the exception of 4, with the exception of Kirby, 4 was my least favorite, but still had an okay time with it. And Scream 5 was a nice tribute to Craven and the rest of the series. I've also come to the realization that Gale Weathers, who I couldn't stand when I was a kid, is now my favorite character. I love that. I also love Gale. I hope they give her more to do in the next installment. Hopefully, the rest of the series will go for broke and do a requel crossover with the I Know What You Did Last Summer and Urban Legends franchises. Maybe they actually throw in some time travel and bring Parker Posey back. Well,
0: there's nowhere else for them to go, really. So
1: <laughs> Time travel. Uh, I'm very excited to hear this week's conversation about Dick Tracy. It was somewhere in the summer of 1990. I had those little storybooks that came with the cassette tapes and I would reenact the movie with my action figures. I had the frustratingly difficult Nintendo game. I lived in Anaheim and the commercials for the stage show at Disneyland were on constantly. Oh
0: yeah, there's video of that on YouTube. Whoa, I gotta watch it. Uh, even an even a cast member at the time calls it a mess in the comments. It is That's so funny. something.
1: I'm sure it's been mentioned, but they really tried to repeat the success of Batman from the year before. It Mm -hmm. fell short, but I was six and didn't care. It's far from perfect, but I still love it for bringing Chester Gold's characters to vibrant life. How about those matte paintings, huh? And Pacino being nominated for this the same year he did Godfather 3? Parenthesis. Speaking of the Oscars, did you know that Dick Tracy's seven nominations is tied with Black Panther for the most noms for a comic adaptation? Yeah,
0: let me tell you. which which one of the two do i prefer i wonder anyway moving on
1: (laughs) anyway love scream love dig tracy love austin danger pod can't wait to see what the wheel brings us next your buddy ron thank Thank you ron Ron. and then this last one is a bit of a surprise for you kev it is from one of your personal friends cat
0: oh wow cat wrote in
1: cat wrote in and said hi austonians it's me cat a friend of kev's i just wanted to write in and share one of my favorite memories of me and kev which also happens to be austin themed yes oh yes yes, yes, yes. (laughs) one day kev and i were stoned out of our minds and or and something similar to this occurred parenthesis kev may remember it differently but we'll see We were sitting on my couch and I said, remember in Austin Powers when he says, daddy wasn't there, peace? And Kev thought it was the funniest shit in the world that I had brought up a random throwaway line from Goldmember. Yeah, because it had been buried
0: in my mind for 20 years. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so we had to scrub YouTube for the exact moment Mike ends the song with Ming-T and lets out a nice Daddy Wasn't There piece in a way where it sounds like a single word. We were just dying laughing over Daddy Wasn't There piece for so long, for so many months, that now all of our friends kind of bring it up out of nowhere to this day. Uh, is that true, Kev? Is yeah,
0: that's pretty much, I mean, more or less. You know, it's <laughs> one of those running things where you do it so much for so long that it's like, how did that even get started? Like there's a parallel inside joke. I don't know if Kat mentions it in this letter, but uh but we we have a friend Peter who who's a dear friend and a friend of the show who I lived with for a while. And I would always go, Peter, where's Doctor Evil hiding? Like over <laughs> and over again also. So I Austin Austin Powers has been with me my whole life. It is my blessing and my curse. I yeah, love it. For sure.
1: Kat ends this email by saying, anyway, this is silly, but I love your podcast, and it brings me joy because of our personal relationships with Austin, and I love y'all so much. X O X O X O X O. XO, love Cat. Thank you, Kat.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you, Kat. As Ringo Starr always says, peace and love, peace and love, and no <laughs> so, objects to be signed. Nothing.
1: <laughs> Those were such lovely letters, and if you want to send us letters or voicemails or whatever, you can send us anything at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Here it is. It's time.
1: Let's do it. I'm ready. I'm so freaking ready.
0: They found the hairdryer in here, thank God. So we're ready to spin. I am very nervous, but it is time. Here we go.
1: Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: Hey, Mackenzie. Hey, Kev. Do you remember over the summer, we flipped a coin to decide who would pick episode 25 and and you, you got it, and you picked Charlie's Angels. And we had had discussions in private about what, what movies I would pick, the kinds of things that I'd pick. And I was very vocal about a movie called King Kong, directed by Peter Jackson. But I wasn't going to pick that for 50 because, you know, it's very similar to Avatar in a lot of ways, in the way of it's a CG spectacle and all this. Um, and then I was like, well, you know... If I was going to pick a movie that wasn't Peter Jackson's King Kong, I would probably pick next week's movie. We're still with the Disney company, still in this period, the next year, 1991. Howard Ashman and Alan Menken had had a hit musical called Little Shop of Horrors. Disney hired them to save their animation division with a film called Little Mermaid. And their follow up, Gary Trousdale and Kirk Wise's Beauty and the Beast is the film we will be discussing next week.
1: Now you got to pick a new pick. That was going to be your pick for 50.
0: What's freakier than a candlestick with a face? Freak Vember continues.
1: <laughs> baby. And yeah, I
0: I have to figure out what I'm going to do. I did put something in the Austin schedule if you want to take a peek at that, but that's something we could talk about off air.
1: Ooh, oh. let me go look. Oh, <laughs> I'm not even going to say it. That would be insane to do at 50, and I'm so ready for it. I'd be down.
0: It could be good. It could be good. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> so we're doing Beauty and the Beast, the original animated Beauty and the Beast. Um, if you have any problems with us doing two Disney movies in a row or whatever, uh, you complained when the reel didn't seem random. So, sorry. Uh, but <laughs> if you love it as much as I do, if you're as much of a defender of human again, the musical number added for the 2002 IMAX release, as I am. The email address again is austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. But until that day, from Mackenzie, this is Kev.
1: Austin Danger Podcast, peace! If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening!